All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of Adoption Story. Um, today we have Tia, who is this awesome person that I just met online. And I'm so excited to actually see you face to face. And yeah, like I said before, like in an email, your like shaved head looks <laughs> so good. Like uh, I, I kind of miss it. I kind of miss yeah. it. Are you going to shave your head again? Probably not. Um, at least not anytime soon. It just once it started getting cold, I was like, I'd have to go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, I actually need that warmth back. So yeah. Um, Plus, maybe the next time I when I like cut my hair and donated it. And, is that what you know. did? Yeah. Like, so when you donated your hair, were they so excited because you're Korean and you had like the thickest? <laughs> I had so much hair. It was crazy. It was. I weighed it. I had almost like half a pound of hair. Um, wow yeah and it was like two feet long it was crazy yeah That's really, I have really long hair I was over it so it was like down to your butt uh not that long but it was close, close. it was close damn dude that's why <laughs> um okay so let's yeah let's jump into like your adoption stuff um when were you adopted I was adopted from South Korea in 84 I was three weeks old when I was adopted, but I don't think it was uh, finalized for a while. And then I flew over to America when I was about four months old. Had to do the math. Oh, wow. So wait, you were three months, you were three weeks old when you were adopted. Correct. That pretty, I mean, that seems really early. I mean, yeah, it does seem really early. Yeah, because I was, I think I was like five months old. So I feel like three, so three weeks, were you even in a foster home or anything? I think I was, from what I can tell from my paperwork and what my uh, adoptive parents have told me, I was in foster care, but very briefly. Yeah. So basically from the time that I was given up for adoption until the time that I came to America, I think so those few months I was in an orphanage and then maybe foster care for the few weeks before I actually flew over. Um, but yeah, so it was pretty immediate. That's really, so which agency did your parents, uh, SWS? I have no idea uh, what that is. Uh, social welfare service, which I believe now is called, uh, Korean welfare service. I think they've changed. So it's from Korea. So it's their program. It's a Korean-based program, correct. How did your parents hear about it? I actually don't know. Um, I actually have not had a lot of conversations with my parents about my adoption. I think I did when I was younger. And I, from what I remember, the answers were really vague. Um, and I think part of that was because I was really young and then I've just never revisited it, <laughs> right? Even though I've been as I've gotten older. So then, that's really, really interesting to me. So, like when you were a kid, obviously. Well, okay. Then, are your parents white? Yes, mm-hmm. and I have an adopted brother who is also Korean, but we are not biologically related. And is he older? He is. Yeah, a couple years. So then, obviously, you knew, or did you know that you were adopted? I think I was like three and I, apparently my mom loves to tell the story. I asked uh, if she was my real mom 
And she obviously said no, and then kind of explained that I was adopted. And then I asked if my brother was my real brother, and yeah. she also said no, he was also adopted. Um, and I don't really remember what else I asked, but I was pretty like, oh, you don't look like me, so you're not my real mom. <laughs> Something's up. Yeah, that's definitely how I came to it also. It was like looking in a mirror, and she was brushing my hair, and I just looked at her, and I think I was about three or four also. and. Okay. I just was like, why don't you look like me? Like, it was very like <laughs> blunt, like, mm, this doesn't add up. Yeah. Uh, and then they told me. But yeah, I mean, it's easier for us to recognize that something's different. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said that you didn't really talk about it with your parents again. And that, I, I, it's really interesting for me just because my parents and I have talked about it a lot, especially mm-hmm. when I was looking for my birth mother. And um, yeah, it's been pretty much just right there on the table all the time. So was there a reason why you guys didn't talk about it? I think that because I was really young and I don't know if my parents knew how to have those conversations with someone who was not an adult. Right. (laughs) Um, I think because I got a lot of really general answers. I just stopped asking. Um, And I think for myself, I kind of was really focused more inward um, on kind of like processing that. And so I think that I just, it wasn't a priority to kind of hear their story Mm, um, as much as it was kind of figuring out who I was at that point, if that makes sense. For sure. And then as I've gotten older, I know that my, um, my mom is really open to having conversation. I just think our family is also very private. Um, and I'm a very private person in a lot of ways. And so it's just never come up again. Um, yeah. Do you think that that was how you grew up then? Just everyone just kind of kept themselves about their emotions about. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's a generational thing. Um, my parents are a little older and their parents were a little older. Um, my parents were born in the forties. So it's kind of like, yeah. So like, you know, in the middle of world war two. And so I think just generationally there's, it's a different culture than maybe someone whose parents were a little, um, closer to their age, um, when they were adopted. And so I think for my, both of my adoptive mother and father their families were just very kind of like keep everything to yourself kind of like don't air your dirty laundry kind of thing um, which I think is very again just a generation gap (laughs) but did that kind of do you feel like that kind of contributed or maybe hindered some of the like open conversation that you'd want to have I don't think so because I think that my parents had I really, had I made the effort, would have really had these conversations. But I think, again, because I stopped making the effort, it kind of died there. Right. They didn't pursue it either. Like, they weren't like, we're going to sit down and have a conversation. It was like, okay. So then I'm assuming you didn't go to any, like, adoptee camps. You didn't do any, like, adoptee-centered activities or, like, anything like that. No, definitely not. I didn't even go to regular camp. Um, I think that there's 
a lot of just like family dynamics and my parents had gotten divorced a few years after we um, were adopted. And so we mainly spent our summers with my dad, which was pretty awesome. Like I learned how to go rock climbing. And so I've been rock climbing for a really long time. And that was kind of our thing. And we traveled a lot. Um, And I would say my childhood in general growing up was not spent around a bunch of other kids. It was mainly around adults. Right. So then Um, with your like, did you grow up in Oregon? Because that's where you are now, right? No, I'm in LA right now. You are? Yeah, oh. so I grew up in Southern California, and then um, my mom got remarried, and we moved to Oregon. So I was there for middle school and high school, and then after high school, I came back down to California to go to college, um, and I've been here ever since. And I oh, wow, okay. Been a lot, so I was like, I need to get out. So then how was, you know, it's really funny, because now the other two guests, you know, they were in Oregon also. Mm-hmm. And um, so growing up, you know, middle school and high school, really tough years, a lot of puberty, a lot of emotions. How was it growing up in Oregon for you? I hated it. I still really honestly get anxiety thinking about going to Oregon. Um, I still have my family is up there. I have friends up there. But I think the experience of moving from Southern California which while it had, you know, has all of its own problems, it was really diverse compared to moving to a very white suburban city in Oregon. Um, And Oregon is still really racist. Oregon was really racist when I was there. Like, it's still really racist now. And so I think that really kind of put a sour taste in my mouth for living there. Um, And not that LA doesn't have its kind of share of racism, I think, but because it's so homogenous up there, it was really obvious. Um, And it was really, I don't know, like uncomfortable, just all of a sudden being even more of a minority. Yeah. Like there were maybe, besides my brother, I think there were like two other Asian families (laughs) that I knew. Right. Uh, you know, and there was like one black family and some, you know, Latinx families, but it was mainly predominantly white. And so I think just that shock, that culture shock of not seeing any kind of mirroring, you know, as far as like, oh, people that look like me um, was really, I just really didn't like it. Do you think that that would have helped your self-image and stuff if you did have a larger Asian community? I think so. And even though they're, I think, kind of going back to what you were saying about going to like adoptee camps or anything like that, you know, my extended family, there were a lot of kind of different groups of people and different ethnicities. And it was kind of this um, really awesome mix of adults in my life. But I think that as far as, um, yeah, like Korean community, I don't think I ever really had that as a part of my life which is really unfortunate and I think that I don't know if it would have helped my self-image just because I think there is a disconnect between myself as an adoptee and uh, the Korean community yeah I don't know if that would have been 
better or worse if I had been immersed in that when I was younger, but I think it would have been different. Um, right. and I think it's different because I don't have that background. I don't have that heritage of culture and tradition and connection. And so there's already that mm, divide, I think. There's that divide between us as adoptees and our adoptive family culture, and there's us as adoptees and our, um, you know, our heritage culture. And so I think that regardless of when or how that looked like, I don't know how much different my life would have been. Um, I'm sure it would have been different, but I don't know if it would have pushed me away from Korean culture. Yeah. Because maybe I hadn't really been able to sit with myself as much and kind of know who I am as a person and then trying to fit into these, all these other different boxes. Um, I don't know. It might've been more confusing. So then do you think that your adoptee identity and your Asian identity, like how closely related, or do you think that they're completely separate? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think for me, my adoptee identity is synonymous with my Asian identity. Mm-hmm. I do think that way just because of coming in and I've said this before coming into a family where like you go home, you already don't look like them and you already kind of feel like something's different. Like, um, I don't think I would feel that way if I was coming home to an Asian family and not adopted. I guess for me, that's really hard to pull those two, like you're talking about Korean heritage and adoptee community stuff. Like those two are just so synonymous. Um, and it's really funny because I've started like really wanting to do Korean cooking and learning um, <laughs> Korean language and going to Korea and all this other kind of stuff. And it's so funny because I went to H Mart the other, like the other week mm-hmm. and I learned to say like, Annyeonghaseyo. and so I went in and of course I look like them. And so I say it and they just dive like right into like <laughs> blown Korean and they're like speaking to me and asking me questions. And I was like, Oh no, that's it. That's all I can say. And, you know, it's like, I have no accent. It's super American. And it didn't, it's not like I felt like I was home. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like when I said like, it's not like I was like, oh, I got it. Like, I feel more Korean. It was like, I still felt like an outsider. I still felt like I was like, all right, well, just because I can say a word doesn't make me feel more included. You know what I mean? And that's where like my adoptee identity like steps in front and is like, well, it's because you're adopted. And then it's like the opposite is when I feel adopted or whatever, my Korean heritage and identity steps in front. It's like, well, you're different because you're Korean. So it's like constantly almost getting like roadblocked in this Mm. self-discovery kind of way. And it kind of sounds like you feel like those two identities, Asian and adoptee are kind of separate and you can tackle both differently is that oh hmm I think it's for me I'm also I'm very good at compartmentalizing things and so in some ways I think yes you know who I am as an Asian woman is very different than who I am as an adopted child at the same time it's all me and so I think there is I don't know if it's a hard stop where one meets the other. And I think there is so much 
overlap and there's so much layering and there's so much nuance that goes into identity in general. And so I, I don't think that I'm one before the other or instead of the other mm-hmm. or in place of the other at any point. I think it's all of this is a culmination of because of these are my life experiences. This is what I'm bringing to every interaction, every interaction. I am a Korean woman, but I'm also an adoptee. If that yeah. makes sense. For sure. Do you, when you were younger, I mean, did you feel different? Did you just feel like something was a little like inside of you, a little weird, like a little disconnect from your family? Mm, I would say there was probably a lot of disconnect. Yeah. And I was really angry when I was young, but I was also really introverted. Um, I think I'm still a little introverted, (laughs) definitely not as angry. Um, But I think that I didn't understand and I didn't have the language to explain the things that I was feeling. And I think now that I've gotten older and I've kind of integrated a little more into the adoptee community, um, it's giving language to things that I've kind of already felt or known or experienced in myself. Um, But I also think the experience of not having parents who understand what adoption is like is very challenging because it's trying to explain a life experience that literally has shaped the the backbone of your whole life for sure that you had no choice in and I think it's you know for me as a when I was younger and as I got older reflecting on it the fact that as adoptees are, you know, we have no choice in kind of the, the trajectory of our lives. And for, you know, in some ways thinking that a child chooses its parents and that first choice that we made as babies or as children to kind of, um, choose the people that birthed us, that choice was taken away. And so that loss, I think is really hard to relay and as a kid, I didn't really understand that loss. Yeah. I didn't understand um, how to talk about that with people in my yeah. life. And even my brother, like my brother and I have never talked about being adopted. Really? Yeah, which I think it's just, again, that's just how our family is. And I think that now that we're older, you know, those conversations are probably more likely to happen at some point. Um, yeah, huh. so- that's so interesting. And he's older, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the loss thing is something that is so crucial um, and so important to the adoptees' understanding of maybe how they feel, like long-term, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, that trauma of getting taken away from your mother or feeling abandoned from the moment you step into this world or slip into this world is so there's a grief that never goes away. And like, I've kind of described it before, like an adult, like, you know, when you look at an adult and you're like, Oh, they're just, there's a sadness in that adult. And it's not even like, they're not, you know, 
grieve. It's like, it's different. When you look at them, they're like, it's a, like a matte black kind of sadness. It's just there and exists. And I think adoptees feel that from the very beginning of their life. And like you said, like children don't have the language to really express what that quiet, still kind of sadness that sits inside of them is. Mm -hmm. And it's just this, it's like you understand already this complex adult feeling of not being wanted. And it's something that you can't even really put into words because you, you know, you have a family, hopefully that loves you. You're sitting, you know, around the table, eating dinner with them, joking around and laughing. And you're like, this is a loving environment, Mm -hmm. but yet you still feel like this still dark little hole. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's really confusing it's like, you really don't know what that feeling is until you get older. And you're like, well, maybe it's because I'm adopted. Maybe it's because I was taken from the arms of my mother. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting journey, I think. And part of why I'm doing this like podcast is to talk to other people that have had that journey of finding out how do we remedy or sit with and just be with that kind of feeling, that grief that doesn't ever leave. And it's like, you know, for me, birthdays were always really hard. Like my birthday, Mother's Day was always really hard. And I mean, I remember being sad when like, I didn't even really know why. Mm. You know, it was just like Mother's Day would come up and it'd just be like, okay. And I would just always think to myself, well, I have another mom too. Mm-hmm. That I don't get to like spend time with her, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, did those, I mean, did those days trigger you also honestly no I love birthday (laughs) I love getting older um I think that I know that for some people those are really triggering days like you said I think for myself and I don't know if this was just my personality or the way that um I became just a really practical human or whatever, you know, my survival instinct. Um, I assimilated really hard. Yeah. As a kid, I assimilated super, super hard um, in a way of just, I want to be as American as I can be, like whatever the hell that even means. Um, And so for me, that meant to be like, I'm going to be as white American as I can be, even though I'm not a white American. Yeah. Um, And I always knew that I would never be that. Right. But the more that I could fill in these kind of boxes and um, just fit in, and I think that's a theme that a lot of adoptees feel, just like we just want to fit in. And we're already different because we look different than our parents we look different than the people in our family. Um, And so that bringing it back to what we started talking about, that makes us different no matter what, even if I'm in a room full of other Asian families, like I'm different because I have white parents. Yeah. You know, I vaguely remember like when my parents used to take us to Chinese restaurants and you know, the people there would ask us, like, why we're with these people, or they would ask our parents, like, are these your kids? Like, why do you have these kids? And so it's kind of like, there's so much 
kind of assumption and misunderstanding no matter what community it is. And so I think that's really alienating. And there was so much alienation that I was like, I'm just going to do whatever I can to not stand out and not be noticed as something different because no matter what people are going to look at me and be like, Oh, you're different. You know? So I think in my manner and the way I speak and the things that, you know, um, I kind of did, but at the same time, still retaining who I was or who I think I was or who I was becoming that while it was influenced by those things, I think that was kind of already there, if that makes sense. Like I've always been really stubborn. Um, and my mom loves to tell me about how stubborn I was when I was younger and how stubborn I still am now. And I think there's a lot of truth. And being someone who also does a lot of birth work and seeing a lot of babies being born, like babies have personalities. Yeah. They have recognition and they are their own people from the moment they come into this world. And so I think there are a lot of things that, you know, have been with me and have kind of influenced. Um, like a natural. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, Okay. So that's, I mean, that brings me to something I really didn't want to talk to you about. Cause I know they do a lot of birth work mm-hmm. and doula stuff and all that, you know, really amazing, like crazy stuff. I mean, the stuff that you've posted on your stories, I literally like send it to my husband. I was like, <laughs> it looks like it's from a horror movie. Um, and it's, I mean, it, the human body is beautiful. It's and amazing. It is. It really is. And, but that's something, you know, would you adopt? Mm. Or have natural born children? Mm. I think that's a really tough question because I don't know. I think the adoption industry is really awful. And I think it's a really horrific industry that has been for its entirety really in this frame of mainly whiteness and in this frame of mainly Christianity and in this frame of, you know, removing children from their families. And so for me, I don't think that I would want to adopt. I think that there can be cases of ethical adoption, but I think it's really rare. And I think that is not the norm and that's not the mainstream. Um, And for me, Knowing how traumatic adoption is, um, I don't think I would want to be part of that industry and that business. Um, And I think that if at some point I do have my own children, it will be a really interesting experience. Um, And I know that there are some adoptees who don't want their own children or don't want to kind of visit that trauma that they may have regarding you know birthing their own children yeah I totally get I mean me I feel that way Mm -hmm. like I don't yeah I have zero interest in giving like any part of my DNA to someone else I have Mm -hmm. zero interest in passing that down Mm -hmm. and I don't know like you know I don't know if that goes back to like not being breastfed like that kind of stuff like with Mm -hmm. biological mother to where when I see, you know, 
birth stuff. And I do, when I see like pregnant women and stuff, I'm like, it's kind of weird. Like I feel really weird about it. Like when I see pregnancy, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. Like it makes me feel super uncomfortable looking at it. And it's like, and I want, I've always wondered if it's because I've just never had an experience that was wrapped in comfort in that kind of realm of like birthing realm and that kind of stuff. Cause it was probably so fast, traumatic, grab the baby, put it somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I definitely am one of those people where I'm just like, yeah, like it's not for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I have also wondered if like, if I had children that looked like me, if I would be like weirded out, you know what I mean? If I was like, oh my God, that's an Asian child. Mm -hmm. Just because it's like, I've never had or been around that. Like, I, I just don't know what I would do. Like, it would be almost like I adopted that child since my family was all, always white. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's also really funny now that I think about it. You, Elliot, and Steve. Yeah. I mean, there's, I'm trying to think of the adopted, Elliot has an adopted sister. Yeah. I mean, having, I've never had any other family members that mm. remotely like me. So mm-hmm. having another child that would like be a mini me would yeah. just be so weird. It would just feel so weird, but like, yeah, I'm interested even more now about the industry part of what you're talking about and like the ethical, yeah. Of adoption in itself, the exchange money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, there's so many great, amazing advocates who have been kind of doing that work for decades and decades, um, you know, and there's a lot of things that I kind of knew about adoption as I've just gotten older. And there are a lot of things that I've kind of, as I've dived into the adoptee community, been finding out more. But I think the basis of it is always just, it's a business and it's a business. Right. It's really the only business where human and child like child trafficking is completely legal and completely acceptable and completely socially lauded to these people who are adopting children but you're essentially you're buying children right you know but it's it's viewed in this lens of saviorism and this lens of you know helping these children who may or may not be orphans, right? And it's like to be an orphan, like you have no living family members, but that's not true, right? Because most adoptees have living family members that for whatever reason, they can't take care of us or it's, you know, this this idea of family preservation and keeping these children within their families is something that a lot of adoptee advocates um, talk about and, you know, and push for. And I think there's a lot of, especially in Korea, right? There's so much stigma around single parenthood, single motherhood, single fatherhood, just single parents in general, Um, you know, and especially in the times that we were adopted and then, you know, still now in this day, it's very patriarchal society. It's very, um, kind of conformist in a lot of ways. And I think the, for me, a lot of the issue with adoption is that besides that business aspect, right? A lot of times young 
scared pregnant mothers, pregnant people, they're being coerced into giving up their children because they think they have no other option. They're giving up their children because their mothers or their grandmothers are physically removing their children from them and putting them up for adoption because they don't have partners. Um, And I think there's so much shame associated with being a single parent in Korea. Um, And it's really hard to then think that some maybe well-meaning family is profiting off of this, this loss, right? And profiting in the way of they're taking someone else's child and raising it as their own for whatever reason, right? And then the adoption agency profiting off of that loss by receiving money to then sell a child to, you know, wherever these people are. Um, and there's, and I, you know, this is a huge topic. And again, there are many other people who have more well-spoken than I am on this, but just, it's, it's really sad. And it's really sad to me that for most people, right? They, most people, I would say probably know someone who's adopted, maybe not well. Um, but the fact that so many people know so little about adoption um, because all you hear is this narrative of, oh, we've given these babies a better home sure. than their mothers were X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah. You know, and it's interesting because I've kind of been giving my, uh, my husband resources and like just books and education on the system of, of adoption. He's just like blown away. He's like, this is awful. And I'm like, yeah. Right. It's a million or billion dollar industry, you know, and it's like, what is, I think the stat is that since the fifties, like 200,000 children just from Korea alone have been adopted. Um, Like that's a lot of kids from a country that's pretty small. Right. So then, okay. So then question about, you know, we talked about birth mothers and like the stigma. So, I mean, it's kind of a two part question. The first one is that, so are all like, you know, the advocates for, this kind of stuff like are they trying to break that stigma in in Korea of being a single mother and I mean because I feel like that's a huge part of the problem is that they are guilted and shamed into thinking that you know they'll have no honor Mm -hmm. and the second part of that question is have you tried looking for your birth mother Mm -hmm. so to answer the first one I would say I honestly don't know I don't know a lot of the advocates in Korea. Um, Most of the people I follow are American-based. I know that there are a lot of advocates that mainly are looking for adoptee reform, so reform in the ways in which adoption is handled, in which adoption is done, Um, you know, and I think that's a really great question because I think that stigma is so pervasive, you know, and it's like, well, what do like as a kid, people would say, well, aren't you lucky because you're, who knows what your mother, you know, did or was or blah, blah, blah. And so like, there are all these assumptions about a birth mother's ability to provide anything for their children. And so it's, you know, I agree that there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, in these places that are adopting out children right of why is it wrong to be a single parent why isn't it okay to not be married why you know like 
why are all of these kind of ideals and um, stereotypes, like how is this how you want to preserve culture and how is this how you want to, um, you know, kind of uh, ingrain, you know, the society with these things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then your second question, I've already forgotten because I keep going on tangents. No, it's fine. The, have you f- tried to find your birth mother? Oh, I have. And I actually kind of went on this journey this summer, um, which maybe during this pandemic or last summer during the pandemic was not the best time to do it. Yeah. Um, but I did. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom had always offered, like, if that was something I wanted to do, she and my dad would help me as much as they could. I just never wanted to. Um, and for me at the time, I don't think I was ready, but I also just was trying to figure out who I was and how I was capable of kind of understanding these things before then trying to understand maybe her viewpoint or her experience. Um, and so I'm a little older now and a little wiser, you know, in some ways. And I think for me also, I really wanted to explore the idea of having half siblings Mm, yeah that was really important to me um because my parents were pretty young they were very early 20s when they had me and they were not married so they were not and they were not really even together they weren't living together um and so it's funny because my adoptive parents were almost in their 40s when I was adopted right but to think of my birth parents only being now some 36 like only being in their late 50s is a really weird mind trip yeah like whoa like they're so young still so young yeah um and so I started this journey to find my birth parents and I did end up finding my birth mother um through the adoption agency that I was adopted from they kind of are the liaison um because they have Mm -hmm all of the information and so this is another way in which adoption is kind of messed up is that everybody else is gatekeeping our information and everybody else is gatekeeping our history um and so they were actually able to locate my birth mother and they reached out to her and she initially denied being (laughs) having ever having a child ever putting a child for adoption Um, and the social worker who I was working on my case with, they tried again, uh, a few days later and she kind of changed her mind and was like, okay, yes, this was, this is my name. Like I did have a child around then that I did put up for adoption, but like my family doesn't know about it and I can't talk to you anymore. Yeah. This is kind of the conversation, which is pretty common. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think it's a really, it was a really hard experience, but it was also to be expected. Like, honestly, I didn't even expect them to find her, Um, even though on my paperwork that I do have that my, uh, my mom gave to me at some point that I've made copies of because carbon copies are just so fragile. Mm -hmm. It still has the name of both of my parents on it, which was not redacted when they gave it to my parents when they adopted me. 
which I guess is really unusual. Like a lot of adoptees don't even have their parents' names, um, which I did. So that was really helpful um, in that search. My birth father is still unfound. Um, I'm still in the process of searching for him. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. So how important was it for you to do the search? Um, Cause you're still searching for him. So that tells me that you're still interested for a reason. So then what it what's why? Like, so for me again, I think it really came back to like, I don't, I never had the expectation of being able to cultivate a relationship with my birth parents. Uh, and, but I did, I do think that maybe if I figure, if I am able to, um, to find these people and maybe just, you know, at some point they'll tell their families and then maybe I could have a relationship with my half siblings. And so from what my birth mother has told the social worker, like I have half siblings, um, which is also really weird. I'm like, I'm an older sister. That's crazy. Yeah. I had the same situation. So, Um, so then, but I mean, even with wanting to meet and have a relationship with your half siblings, like what is the importance for you there? Like, why is that important to you or why is it interesting to you? Or why is it, why do you want that? It's something that is, mm, I don't, I guess it's important. I think it's, there's also a little novelty involved in it in the sense of it's kind of like, can I do this thing, right? Can I make contact with these people? Can I, um, in a way, like insert myself into their lives, right? And so for me, I think it's um, being able to understand I think my lineage and my um, just history a little bit more, but then also for me, like something to connect me back to Korea is kind of a part of that as well. Um, Because for me thinking that this is the place I was born, you know, this is the place that I'm from. I feel connection to this place, even though I've never been back. Uh, And so I think that being able to have yet another connection maybe is regaining something that was taken from me. And so it's kind of interesting to think about, like, would I even have these siblings if I was still there? Like, you know, and thinking about the, the what ifs and I don't like to really well on that not because it's uncomfortable because it just it didn't happen Um, and this is where I am now and so being able to sit with that and sit with um knowing also that they just don't know that I exist and I think it's a really kind of sad scenario is that you know for a lot of people like our birth mothers are so shamed of having us. And then they're so ashamed of not being able to tell their new families or their current families, you know, and their new partners or their new children, like that this was a part of their lives and they're not able to own and accept that part of their life. And that is really sad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a whole different chapter of their life that Mm -hmm. like, they're just not going to talk about, you know, it's like, 
I mean, I went through the process of finding my birth parents and like, I mean, it was devastating when I got the news. I mean, it was similar. She Mm -hmm. said that she had a new life. Um, I mean, I have three sisters in Korea and I had the same feeling where I was like, oh my God, I'm an older sister. Like that feeling was like, I mean, thinking of the fact that I have three younger sisters in me that look partially like me. Mm -hmm. That was always interesting just because I always wondered if we look similar. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it is partially novelty when you think, oh my God, I have siblings. Mm -hmm. Siblings. I have, you know what I mean? Like younger, I'm the oldest kind of thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, yes, the stigma. I mean, they reached my birth mother and my biological grandmother, her mom, Mm -hmm. and asked and they both said, don't contact us anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of, and <laughs> I do not envy you for doing it during a pandemic. Like that is rough because for me, the way that I got over it was going out, seeing my friends, you know, being social was mm-hmm. how I dealt with it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's devastating when you feel rejected for the second time as an adult Mm -hmm. and especially when you feel like you're putting in all the work kind of when you're like I want to see you I'm an adult now I've done the work of what Mm -hmm. you put me through in the beginning Mm -hmm. and then for someone to shut the door a second time in your face it's like doesn't seem fair you know it's like why like that's not fair you don't get to say no to me again like Mm -hmm. that was my biggest reaction to that Mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know. For me, I don't know if like I would pursue anything else. Like it's like once that chapter ended or once I got that answer, I was kind of like, well, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it was almost like, what's the point of trying to find people that don't care about me? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's kind of like pursuing pursuing someone that's not interested in you. You know what I mean? It's like it ends up being embarrassing. And that's where I kind of left off with all that. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely birth mothers. It's one of the toughest things because they're supposed to be the one person that should actually want to see you. Mm -hmm. And then when you find out that they're ashamed of you, I mean, it's a whole extra level of rejection, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, yeah, and I definitely think it's really hard. And I agree that it's really kind of, messed up in so many ways and for me I'm such an introvert that I was actually really happy that I just had so much time to really kind of sit with Mm. that experience and sit with that understanding and for me it just makes me sad for her yeah because I don't you know it's like who knows what would have happened if society was different right and I think there's so much social pressure yeah and you know I I feel for her in so many ways and I think it's really hard and I think it's also really hard after 36 years to all of a sudden be like hey remember me like I'm back right Right, (laughs) I found you um I think it's really really like hide and seek like oh my god it's like 36 years I'm back Yeah. yeah I think that's also really traumatic for her And so I feel like 
you know, wherever she has compartmentalized or wherever she's put me in her life, um, you know, that's a really big shock. And I think that she probably has to now kind of be confronted with these yeah. things, you know, and I know that in Korean society, it's kind of the same thing of like, people just don't talk about their problems and people don't talk about their traumas and the things they're going through and their hardships. And so it's like, how do you then kind of go backwards, you know, like 30 something years of that trauma of having to give up your child, you know, and I think for birth mothers, birth parents, it's such a hard loss for them as well, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know her story. I don't know if she was forced to give up, give me up. I don't know if she chose to give me up. I think there's so many things that we don't know as adoptees and that we'll probably never know. And I think the not knowing is something that I've really found peace with. And I think even though I am on this journey and I think it would be really awesome to have these connections, I'm also really okay not having them. Um, And I think for me, it's because I haven't had them for so long, right? I haven't had them for my whole life. So it's not any different in a a way. Um, I think that just as I've gotten older, I've just become more okay with myself. And I think that allows me to then accept kind of all these facets of um, the ramifications and the outcomes of that initial like catalyst, right? That initial, like, because I'm adopted, all of these things have happened in my life or all of these things have um, been affected. And so now being able to just be a little older and just say, you know, I'm curious, but I also know myself well enough that I'm okay with whatever happens. Right. No, that's a good perspective. And I think that the compassion you have for your birth mother is like really beautiful, you know, cause I definitely don't have that. Mm-hmm. To be honest, like I know that it must've been hard with, with whatever happened, whether it's forced or whether it's her choice, I know it must've been hard. And this is where like, this almost that I think this is where the resentment for me comes in is in this kind of moment where it's like well no you should have compassion on her you know she went through something really traumatic and in my head I just think well too bad like Mm -hmm. you made a decision you got to live with it and it's Mm -hmm. like that's my biggest struggle for sure and I think that holding on to that resentment for me has always been the bullheadedness that like I just can't like, it's almost like the one thing I have, if I can't have love with her, then I'm going to have, like, this vengeance kind of like, no, you don't get to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, at least it's something. At least I get to hold on to some kind of emotion with her. And I really, str- I really wish I could have the kind of beautiful compassion that you have and understanding for that kind of um, hardship. Mm-hmm. that she must have gone through you know um yeah I think just I don't know if it's yeah I just don't know there's so many factors I think that go into that but I think being in birth work and like witnessing birth and seeing just like how much work it takes to birth children and bring them earth side you know and there's kind of a 
I think in some way, like for me, my birth mother probably felt some kind of way that she would do all that work to bring me here. Mm, yeah. Um, and like, I was born at home. <laughs> they really? just, I guess like, according to my paperwork, like she didn't even take me to the hospital for like a week. Like, I don't know. I don't know who was with her. I don't know if anybody was with her. Yeah. I don't know if she had a midwife, her mom, like. That's crazy. So it's also really interesting. Right. Um, you know, and then like in my paperwork, uh, it said like my birth father wanted her to have an abortion and she like refused. Um, and so it's kind of also interesting, right? Just of like having a baby is a lot of work, right? Like it's physically a lot of work. And so like for her to put in all of that work, um, you know, I don't know if she loved me. I don't know if she hated me, like whatever, but like, she certainly like felt something (laughs) to keep you around. To keep me around, you know, whatever that was. Um, So, yeah, and I think that a lot of that compassion just comes from understanding birth. From understanding birth, but then also understanding that for myself, who I am now is, you know, because of that catalyst. And so, but I wouldn't be here. And so I know for a lot of adoptees, you know, like suicide is really high in the adoptee community, which is really sad. Um, you know, adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide, which I think is a really just sad, but kind of statistic that like I get, you know, in a way it's, I don't feel like I have myself felt that much kind of despondency but I get it right I get that we're so misunderstood because of this mainstream narrative and there's so much loss and there's so much kind of culmination of all of these things right Um, and I was really fortunate that I have a really great family and my family loves me and I love them and I think that you can love your adopted families and still have these feelings of your own because your experience is, because this is an experience that happened to you before you were adopted, before you met the family you have now. And so, you know, you are complete, everybody is entitled to feel how they feel about their adoption, um, regardless of how awesome their adoptive family is, you know, and my, um, my family is great and I really care for them. But that doesn't then negate, right, these experiences that we have as adoptees. Um, Well, that's something I think is really important to, like, point out is that, like, you know, you can love your family, your adoptive family, and you can have this, you can also have simultaneously a feeling of weirdness. It's like almost, to me, it's always been kind of... I can never put words to it just because it's like, yes, I love my family. But there's also this feeling of distance in a way. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, you, and I think when I was younger, I always felt really guilty about it. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing that I've always now as an adult have tried to tell myself it's okay to have both feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, I think that's a really confusing part for adoptees. They feel like they shouldn't be having those feelings 
So then they feel spiraling. Like it just makes you feel worse. And then you think about it and try to act on it, but you're not doing it. You know what I mean? Like you just get worse off. Yeah. And when you understand that you can sit with both, it helps. But that feeling, but that is there. That's this feeling of like, I love my family, but also blank. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, exactly. And they're not mutually no. exclusive. It's like, you can have one without the other, you know, it's like, you can not like your adoptive family, yeah. and, you know, and, and, then you and you shouldn't ever feel like you have to, you know I mean? Like sometimes families suck. Sometimes people yeah. do <laughs> that are really terrible, you know? And it's okay if you're adopted to not like them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't have to feel loyal to them just because they adopted you. Exactly. They're still, they should still be a loving family, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Tia, this was like a really, really good, like in-depth talk of like some certain, like really serious subjects mm-hmm. you know? and like your perspective is beautiful. Um, but yeah, I just thank you yes. so much. Yeah, sorry when I went off on tangents. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Um, but yeah, so to all that are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and this is Tia. And but yeah, dude, thank you again. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, hopefully I'll see you around in LA. Yes. So yeah, okay. Once we can see you <laughs> yeah, once we can actually hang once out. Once we can see people in real life. Go to a bar. Yes. Perfect. Um, but yeah, Tia, thank you so much, man. This was yeah. No worries. Thanks.